Hey everybody, it's Ian King, founder of King Sports International and author of a number of books on training, innovative training methods used throughout the world. Jamie, great to chat with you. And I, we're having this chat because some of the results you've been getting have stood out to me and you've shared your, your progress along the way. So give us a little bit of a background on what you've been trained towards and what are some of the results you've been getting. Well, what I'm training towards, my ultimate goal was always to be 75 kilos and 8% body fat. And that was a, a um, goal that I set myself very, very early in the piece. Um, but yeah, o- over the course of reading your work and, and uh, just, you know, as I've been training for a long time, the goals have changed a little bit. I now want to train long term um, and I want to be healthy long term. So that's, that's a new goal for me. Um, in addition to just looks and, yeah, just the the aesthetic side of things. Isn't that an interesting transition? And, and I think when we, we all realise our mortality, in other words, as we get a little bit older, we we often do see that shift. Um, let's, I want to come back to that. So hmm. where was your starting point and, and how close are you to those goals? Well... When I first started training, it, look, it was probably back in about 2007, and um, back then I was basically sort of purchasing those three-month marketing-hyped programs you see on the internet, um, and basically I just purchased one of those programs and I'd use them and well past the point at which I'd plateau, and then I'd just look for another program and basically do the same thing. So I wasted a lot of time with those. They got me a little bit of results, but you know. They weren't really sort of something that I could use long term. Um, and then after that, I started kind of writing my own programs, but I really had no clear direction of what I was doing because the programs that I'd followed previously didn't really effectively explain how to program. They were just basically giving you the program and you were doing the program and then you'd either repeat the program or, you know, that was it. Um, yeah, right. I was laughing at that. It's an interesting phenomenon, the computer um, the programs on the internet. I guess that's something that happened post the late 1990s. And even before that, you would have got a magazine out of a, uh, like a magazine and got a program out of a magazine. So I guess there's always been that, that level of availability. And a lot of people have picked up the generic program and had a crack at it. Um, you know, it's, you've taken it a step further. You've been seeking to understand and get some degree of mastery of, of making decisions that suit you. And that's what really impressed me with what you've done. So is that something you, you innately look for? Or is that something that you had to get educated on the value of some degree of individualization of a program? Yeah, look, definitely. The, um, there was one, one thing for me um, was the training that I was doing caused a few minor injuries. Now, I do say minor. Um, I got a shoulder impingement um, in my right shoulder. And since studying your work, I know the reasons for that. I was using way too much inclined bench uh, in some of the programs that I was trying to write for myself. <laughs> so um, that kind of caused me to sort of look at um, ways to... Uh, you know, better my training and, and look into ways to um, prevent injuries in training. And that's what led me to your work. So what are the, some of the keys that you've, you felt have served you well from, from reading uh, the things, the books like Get Bafted, et cetera? What, what are some of the keys that you've been giving you? Some of the keys. Yeah, I, I, I got some highlights. Um, 
probably how to warm up correctly is huge. Um, basically, on average, the previous programs I was following were about warming up for about five to ten minutes. They'd just do some light cardio. Um, Get Buffed pretty much taught me how to perform static stretching. Um, static stretching was pretty much none of the programs emphasized st static stretching at all. Um, they might have had one to two minutes, that's about it. Uh, and also control drills. Um, so adding those two things to the beginning of each of my workouts on top of the general and specific warm-ups that, that a lot of people do, um, I, I felt like that, that was really a big thing for me. I'm, um, I'm going to jump in on that one, Jamie, because I'm telling you, I've been in national level programs where they don't warm up. And I've, I've felt like literally getting the, the rubbish bin and running around picking up their vertebrae as they pop out. Like I've been stunned <laughs> by what even some high level athletes have been put through. So, you know, obviously, as you know, I, I reinforced the, the benefits of a warm up. And the, the concept of static stretching, it's almost like passing wind in church. It's almost like having a book junior <laughs> position. Uh, but it wasn't always like that. You know, you know, go back through the 80s and 90s where I had a professional involvement. Uh, it wasn't until about the mid-90s that people started started with this paradigm that, that pre-stretching is evil. And I, obviously, I've got theories about why it was introduced, but it's you know that aside, and I, you can call me a conspiracist, that aside, it's not serving anybody. So the masses running around following that, you know, it's bad to stretch, it'll make you weak and all that sort of crap. Um, so yeah, I'm really glad that you picked up on that because it doesn't matter whether it's politically correct. It doesn't matter whether everybody else does it. The only thing that matters is, that, is it a better solution than the one you were using? And if you were not doing stretching before and, and introduced it and you notice the difference, that's what separates you from the from the conforming masses. And, you know, uh, uh, Albert Schweitzer was asked in about 1952 by a, an interviewer in, in London, he said to the doctor, what's wrong with man today? And Albert Schweitzer said, man does not think. Yeah, and um, <laughs> Rollo May said the opposite of, of courage is not cowardness, it's conformity. So for some reason, the masses are really committed to saying, well, I read it on the internet and, oh, you know, Guru X, Y, and Z said pre-training stretching is bad. I better not do it. So for whatever reason, you had the either the intuition or the courage to put that aside and say, no, I'm going to give this stretching before training a go. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd heard it before. Um, all those bad things that you just mentioned, I'd heard some of those before. Um, that you know you could you could injure yourself if you if you stretch and things like that and especially don't do it before training because it affects your power output or whatever. Um, but you know how do I know that that's going to happen until I try it? Like uh, I exactly. have to actually give it a go. Yeah. And so so I did. And what did you find? And uh, well, I've been using this method of warming up for about 18 months now, and uh, since then I haven't sustained a single injury, not even a niggle or a sore joint. I'd say my body feels better than ever, and that can't be a coincidence. But that, that is what we just told people. To. I mean, it's not a matter of convincing, but it's saying, listen, you've got an opinion. That's fantastic, but whose opinion is it? If, if it's someone else's opinion and you've bought into it, that's not good enough. That's really not serving yourself. If you say to me, and I gave an objective crack for three, six months, and I concluded that no stretching before training is better, I'd say congratulations. At least you've given it a crack. Go on, you know, go down your path. As a, as a coach of elite athletes, I actually – selfishly celebrate it when, when elite athletes um, model this, this crappy fitness trend where, where gurus X, Y, and Z who actually don't train themselves or uh, never trained ever um, are promoting this stuff. And then you see an elite athlete whose livelihood depends upon it model that. And, and I, I rub my hands together because it's just mm. one elite athlete for us to compete against ultimately. <laughs> From a business perspective, that makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's not real humanitarian, but that's the reality of it. I, I, I celebrate that stuff. I say, yeah, go on, keep doing more of it. 
but the thing is, you put your work out there, so it's so it's available. So exactly. Yeah, that's right. And I'm, I'm not being, right. I'm not being totally na- mean and nasty. I'll, I'll put it out there, and uh, but when it comes to the sharp end of of elite sport, where you know we're competitive and it's not really about hugging trees, um, it's actually it's a lot of fun to watch them do that to themselves. And, and on the yeah. other hand, ironically, control drills. Well, you know, I introduced the concept of, of doing some selected movements prior to a strength training workout to to increase joint temperature, um, selectively recruit muscles, uh, contribute to imbalances. And ironically, that one was um, embraced a little bit more in mainstream. But the, the tragedy for that is that most of the interpretations I see are actually misguided and create imbalances. In fact, some of them even plain dangerous. I've seen. I've seen some pre-workout combinations that, like, you know, jump off a box and land and, and, and stuff that are just working the knees. So, um, I guess, again, from a selfish, in a competitive arena, uh, even those who have uh, embraced a little bit of what I've taught there uh, have pretty misinterpreted it because I don't know if you noticed, but if you ever see other people interpret it, they throw their own spin on it, which is their prerogative. But I often wonder whether, you know, those writers, you know, Guru X, Y, and Z, whether they actually do it or they just write it because they think it's trendy to do so. So yeah, yeah. you've included those. And, and what what do you think has been the difference for you using control drills? Using control drills? Yeah. Um, I feel like I warm up better. Um, I feel like uh, my body is well prepared for weight training. Um, I always felt like when I went in and I didn't perform, maybe I just performed a light cardio or whatever, whatever was the, the warm-up of the previous programs that I was following. Um, I didn't feel fully ready to, to sort of lift the type of weights that I was lifting. Um, and control drills, I don't know, they just, they just seem, to, seem to prepare my muscles better for the, for the workout. Yeah, and that's great feedback, and that's, that's to your credit. In athletes that I work with, especially personally, I give them options during the year to reduce the volume of control drills, and they often say, no, I want to keep it high because they really value it. You know, I don't see too many athletes walk away from one that one who had that experience. And, and I said, I just just wrote about it um, you know, in the late 90s after using it for the best part of a decade. And, uh, you know, people, it's there if people want to take it. It's, you know, if they don't, that's, that's fantastic. So we talked about um, the warm-up, which includes, not limited to, but includes yep. static stretch and controls. What other strategies or concepts served you well from being exposed to the get buff concepts? Sure. Uh, muscle balance was pretty huge for me. Um, I pretty much based, uh, I mean, the program that I just wrote is pre- pretty much the first program that I've actually written for myself. Like, I, I did write a maintenance program for your Great Guns program, but this is the first full program. And I, I based it uh, on your lines of movement concept. Awesome. So I was grouping exercises in uh, horizontal push-pull, vertical push-pull, quad-dominant, hip-dominant. Um, and yeah, I tried to keep the number of exercises in each line of movement pretty much the same. So I was trying to keep them all equal. Um, and yeah, that's that's how I started this program anyway. Well, I got to tell you, you've probably written more individualized programs than the majority of personal trainers in the world because from what I'm saying, <laughs> they don't even attempt to write a personalized program. They just, you know, they just make shit up as they go. If I can be so correct. <laughs> you may. Yeah, so I, I tell you know I tell athletes by the time you know you finish the educational process with me, you're going to be better qualified at individualising your training process than the majority of inverted commas professionals. So I'm really proud of you doing that, and that's one of the reasons we wrote the Get Buff book. And I said from the outset, I said the old teaching how to fish or, or giving you the fish. I said I'm not giving the fish. I'm, I'm teaching how to fish so that so these skills will serve you for life. Yeah, that that quote's so true. So so true. 
um, yeah, I just I, I did feel like I was being given fish pretty much <laughs> prior to prior to get buffed, and now now I feel like I can actually fish. Yeah, and the health very, health very health 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 health. Too, I'd suggest that you've been given. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I still, look, I still got a long way to go, and um, I'm probably not doing things quite quite uh, perfectly yet, but I but I'll keep learning, you know, I'll keep reading the work. Well, if you said to me, and this this is what happens on a daily basis, as soon as someone says to me, I know it all. I, like I'm worried for them if they say to me, "Well, I don't know everything about that, and I, I've got a long way to go." I actually, I'm, I, that that really excites me because the, the possibilities exist when someone is open to learning. The possibilities are closed down when the mind's closed down. Yeah, yeah. So cool. that's great to hear. And, and you know, I, I picked up in your in your communication with me that you're probably a little bit lacking in self confidence about what you've achieved, and you probably. Yeah. Fully appreciate it. Maybe that's just an Australian thing. You know, we've got this. You know, you need to be humble. And compared to our American brothers and sisters, we definitely are a much more um, um, lower key, uh, you know, less exuberant and more of a humble, I guess, group of people. But also, sometimes that comes with a bit of lack of belief about what's, you know, what you've done and you know what you what's capable. So, what are some other things you took out of the program that have served you? Um, well, it. GetBuff basically taught me how to strategically plan as well, uh, so I can now successfully periodize my workouts in a way that emphasizes change but in a progressive manner. So by that I mean I generally progress from sort of the higher rep metabolic type phases to the lower rep neural phases over the course of the program, um, which provides me variety in terms of loading, but I can still sort of compare um, similar phases from program to program to see how much progress I've made. So, um, so that that will be beneficial to see how much strength I've made. You know, say I return to the bench press at you know a two one one tempo. Um, the last time I did that in a program, I can check that and see see how much progress that I've made. So it's still all trackable, but it's it provides me with enough variety that um, I'll continue to make results. Excellent. So you're referring there to my speed of movement concept using uh, digits to to describe or communicate the duration of these number of cores in the concentric? Yeah, definitely. I, I kind of threw that in there, but I was more talking about periodization. But yes, yes, I definitely did throw that one in there as well. Well, it's just part of vernacular, which is good, and at least you know the origin. So the, the ability to plan, and that's really important because from elite athletes down, there's this concept that we'll just go in there and we'll do the same thing all the time, and, and that's really boring. If you want to train for life, you, you just don't want to do that to yourself. You've got to have a degree of uh, variety, but at the same time, you've got to know not to overdo variety because if you overdo variety, you lack continuity, and continuity is critical if you want to de develop in a direction. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Excellent. So, yeah, so uh, you're talking to me like a pro. <laughs> Thank you. I don't feel like one, but <laughs> oh, yeah. let's see what happens. You've got to stop talking like that. I tell you, <laughs> your understanding of the variables of, of strength training is, is fantastic. You know, don't underestimate that. This is. This is really a, what I see too much is people go out and they fill their minds with some less than optimal content and then they struggle to put good stuff in. I mean, I might, I might be a bit biased, but the Get Buff concepts were a spin-off from what I've learned training athletes at that time when I published a book, which is 1999. That was 20 years of training athletes, and that was a byproduct of that. I mean, that's really, really good conceptual stuff. It's, it's not it's not low-grade, I thought I'd write an e-book one day. That's 20 years of <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, the and I can see that through your work. 
the content in that book would probably be the most plagiarized content on the planet. So, you know, it, it, <laughs> in its diluted form, I suggest it's not as effective. But in its in its original form, and you've got the original form, it's phenomenal stuff. So if you're using that as a platform to grow your own programs, never never you know never be apologetic or, or downplay the value of what you're doing. Sure, sure. So that kind of leads me to the, the next point that um, Gebuff taught me, but load isn't everything. So um, like I was saying, a big one was your three-digit timing system tempo. Um, and uh, yeah, I must say that, that using that was a very humbling experience. I had to drop the weight I was using at the time substantially. Um, but it definitely works and it definitely provides an effective alternative to just putting more weight on the bar because eventually you're going to plateau, right? And one of the reasons I developed that because I realized that people were changing the variable of speed. So I wanted to say, listen, I don't care what speed timing you use. You go fast, go slow, whatever. But don't change the speed of movement and tell me you're stronger. You've just changed the speed of movement. And I'm not saying you can't change the speed of movement in different phases, but if you want to compare apples with apples, you've got to control the variables. I mean, I took a few things away from university. One of them was objective control of the variables. And, you know, back in the 80s, nobody was uh, talking about speed of movement in the, in the strength train. Nobody even recognised the, the role of the pause. So, you know, that's, a, that's one of the reasons I introduced the concept. Yeah, definitely. And it, it gives you variables to, to make a uh, training program, you know. You can make a isometric-based training program from that or, or whatever you want, you know. That's pretty good. Excellent. So... You've got a few more for me, and I also want to hear about how you deal with when you, if you get any pressure from your buddies in terms of, you know, they're off doing the latest training, how you deal with that. But have you got any more any more things that have served you from the GetBuff program? Uh, yeah, sure. Basically, um, the book's taught me a couple of new exercises that I haven't heard of. Off the top of my head, um, uh, the King Deadlift, I've I'd never even uh, seen that described. That was that was something new to me, so it was cool to, to add that to my arsenal. <clears throat> Um, and it, you would done sorry, the, single leg, the single leg stiff legged deadlift as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of the a lot of the unilateral exercises in general, I, I hadn't really come across. But yeah, the king deadlift really stood out to me as something that that I'd never seen. Excellent. So I just got bored with people imitating the exercise and trying to put a name to that one. But <laughs> tough for me when I walk into any gym in the world, I always see someone doing what I call the the. Um, the, the uh, oil 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 fields exercise, which is my single leg stiff like a deadlift, and you know, the, the first person to publish it with that reference ha had the had the model in the in the popular magazine throwing their leg up the back in the air, and I, I couldn't work out whether they did it because they just didn't understand it, or whether they didn't have the flexibility to hold their leg in place and touch the ground. So you know, it was like you know the story that 1982 Commonwealth Games there was a marathon runner who was rubbing his leg, and this, I don't know how true this, but the story is his marathon runner who was rubbing his leg with a sponge every, every a drink stop. And so everybody thought, well, you know, that became a bit of a trend. And, and the story was he apparently had diarrhea and he was trying to rub the brown stuff off of his legs. So it's, <laughs> yeah, I know it's gross, but I'm just talking about how trends how trends uh, come come to play. And nobody questions the trend. They all just run out and copy it. So, you know, for all we know, you know, that, that – um, that very popular um, magazine who published the, the, the single leg stiff leg of deadlift in about 2001 without reference or credit, um, they may have done that because the, the, the model the model they used maybe didn't have the flexibility to do it properly. So he just uh, ad-libbed and, and it sort of triggered a, a revolution, which you know, I got serious questions about whether it's actually doing anything other than, other than um, you know, waving in the wind. 
But I'm glad you got value out of those single leg uh, movements because when I introduced him in 1990, nobody's in fact, if you go back and look at the limping program, what I wrote about him, what the editor was writing about it, we were almost apologetic because we, we didn't know how the world would accept it. Um, you know, the big tough men going there and doing bodyweight exercises and uh, nobody was doing it and it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a risk publishing it, to be honest. Um, but it, you know, it turned into the functional movement program, you know, programs, which I you know that's another story, and I don't necessarily endorse that overreaction. But anyway, what else? <laughs> yeah, well, um, well, I just going back to that that same point. I I used to stiff leg deadlift like that, like single. I did try single leg deadlifts, and that's how I did it with the the leg kicking out the back. Cause that's what I saw on videos and whatnot. So I thought that was how you did it. So yeah. Um, that actually leads me to my next point, which is uh, it's improved form on various exercises, including that one. Um, and, you know, even the compound movements like the squat and the deadlift, um, I've fixed a few little things that I was doing wrong on those as well. So, um, yeah, that in addition to, to grip, changing grip and stance in various exercises, um, which also provides variety. So, yeah. Yeah, grip, grip, grip width and, and, and stance and, and those variables like that provide so many options. I mean, just about every exercise is 32 ways to do it sort of thing. So you, you don't need, um, you know, you don't need to lift 10 different types of objects when you've got 32 ways of, of actually executing the basic movement with with a simple bar and dumbbell sort of stuff. So you've really taken full advantage of, of a, you know, a, a publication which is, well, you know, I believe time will show it as a classic. It's coming up towards um, 17 years since that was published. It's not going to change. It's not going to go away because it's, it's, it's normal information. Yeah, exactly. Okay, this is good. Jamie, got anything else for me? No, they're, they're the main things I can think of. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> I can't do it at the moment, but uh, look, there's probably a million more. I just, no, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't cutting in on you too much. So... Tell me, your buddies, they go to the gym, they want to do all the latest trends, they look at you, how do you deal with that? <laughs> I, I don't really follow. I don't, I don't follow uh, what, what my mates do. I mean, look, most, uh, most of my mates don't even work out, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm very unique in my social circle. Good. Um, the ones that do, uh, generally, they don't know what they're doing at all. <laughs> I can hear that in the way they speak and, you know, because it's the way I used to speak and it's the things that I... I used to do, and I, I do try to guide them where I can, but, you know, I also don't want to sound like I'm preaching to them at the same time. Um, people generally don't like that, so <laughs> so I'm very careful about how I approach uh, approach sort of talking to them about it. Yeah, um, yeah, but, yeah. you know, sometimes those same guys come to me for advice, so I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. I've often wanted to see more study done from a sociological point of view of the, the impact of behaviour in, in a commercial gym setting, because you'd be working out in a commercial gym and Sure, as hell, someone will come and tell you that you're doing something wrong, and they'll tell you to do it, and then everyone's looking to see what everyone else is doing. And if, if you went in there and started scratching under your left armpit using your right arm at a certain angle and did it enough times, you'd probably come back the next week and you, you would have triggered off a whole new exercise trend. Yeah, well, look, I I don't work out in commercial gyms, so that's yeah. something very different with me. Yeah. Um, I used to a long time ago, but I, I collected my uh, the pretty much all of the stuff that I need, and I've built my own home gym in my garage. Good. So. <laughs> I, I think the people who train in, in their own little, uh, you know, back in the garage at home, I think they are the absolute salt of the earth of training. <laughs> I tell you, if you're willing to turn up and train when nobody's watching, that means you really do want it. Whereas 
I reckon the majority of people, if there wasn't that someone's going to look at me or the mirrors on the wall sort of thing, I don't think they'd turn up. Yeah, sure. So no, I, probably, probably a lot would. Well, I, I think you do fit into the category of the of the trainers that, for me, that mean the most because you know you're genuine and you're committed, and it doesn't matter whether someone's looking at what you're doing. In fact, you probably don't want them to be looking at what you're doing. <laughs> no, I, I I don't like people just coming up and telling me I should be doing something different. You know, I'm, I kind of know what I'm doing, or I try to. You know, I'm learning. Yes. Um and. Yeah, if someone just comes and imposes their value, and, you know, it might come from a from a good place. They might genuinely be trying to help me, but at the same time, you know, I'm there to work out. I'm there to do my thing. So. Well, you've got direction. Yeah, that's, that's that's part of the reason why I don't I don't train at commercial gyms, to be honest. Yeah, I'm proud of you. I'm absolutely proud of you on that one. So, have you had any any exposure to the other the others in the sequels? And I, I say that current four book sequel um, is the only sequel. That I'm aware of, uh, four big sequel. There's a few people who ran things in the series, but this is a genuine where there's continuity content, continuity and program design for the first for this four. Have you have you had any exposure to Gip Up two, three, or four? Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I know you tell tell people not to read uh, subsequent material until you've mastered the other, or at least you know for some time until you're ready. But I did read them all, <laughs> so <clears throat> I did kind of jump the gun on that one. But um. Yeah, I've look. I've read Get Buffed one maybe about three times. I've read Get Buffed two twice. I've read Get Buffed three uh, once, and I've read Get Buffed four once. So I've read them quite a few times. Well, I'm proud of your courage. Proud of your courage to to admit to it. And I don't have a problem with that. What what I don't really enjoy is people who order just okay. I need Get Buffed three. They haven't read. They haven't even got or read one and two. Or the worst of all is Get Buffed four because you know, and I, I refuse to sell to people who. Um, you aren't got the first three, then that's the least I can do to help them. I'll forego a sale rather than reinforce that. Well, I'm more advanced than that, Ian, because as far as I'm concerned, I go back and do get buff one once a year. It's that good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't plan. I, I never plan to buy them and just read through them and then you know, all right, I know everything. I'm good. Um, I've like I said, I've read get buff one three times. I plan to keep reading it. Um, I'll read Get Buff 2 again and again, and I'll read Get Buff 3 again and again. Um, particularly when I'm at the stage where I feel like that information's really relevant to me. Um, I'd say now I'm, I'm still in the Get Buff 1, 2 stage, so they're, they're the ones that I, I focus on the most. Yeah, that's good understanding. And, and what I, I'm happy for you is I'm happy to read into the 3 and 4. I just don't feel the need to rush into the programs, but the content, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm happy that you are reading into them because... I, un- I unroll new high-level concepts, but they still are applicable to anybody at any stage. I just couldn't fit them all into the one book, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, definitely, because there's some, uh, some uh, info in, in Get Before I was actually really that I could apply immediately. So, <laughs> so yeah, but, um, the, yeah, the, the detail in, in the subsequent books is, is awesome. It's great. Right, really proud of what you're doing with it. And when I hear stories like yours, I, that's why we've taken the time to have a chat because, you know, you don't, you don't make a lot of money out of books, but you get a lot of satisfaction when you're people who, who are using them for what they were intended for, and they were intended to, to educate. The Get Buff series is there to educate the end user who says, listen, I know there's a better way. I believe I can use my own brain cells and, and use a little bit of my intelligence and my intuition and design a program that will serve me far better than some generic rubbish that I'm going to get off the internet. So, you know, you're, you're doing exactly what we wrote those books for. So, Jamie, 
Did you want to take a moment? Have any questions for me while you've got me on the line? Any question at all? Uh, sure. I didn't really write a list of questions, though I should have in hindsight. I'm kicking myself for that. Uh, but I, okay, one, I finished your Great Guns program a few weeks ago. Um, so how long do you usually recommend that someone waits until they perform like a specialization program? So say I wanted to do another guns type program, something that's best to sort of specialize my arms. How long should I wait for that? Is that a year or is it, you know, a couple of months or? Okay, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because I think there's a lot of people who will benefit from the answer. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to an individual situation, but this is my concern. The smaller muscle groups are sometimes easier to get a big result in. And the smaller muscle groups are often the, ex the external ones, so the furthest away from the center of the body. Now, I'm going to use an example, the arms. If I put 90% of my training energy in developing my arms, I'm going to get a phenomenal result. Like this rubbish about you have to put on so many kilos to get bigger arms, you know, that's, that's just yeah, that's just fantasy. Um, <laughs> if you want to go from the get-go, from the, from the beginning, and go specialize your arms, you can build these great guns, but they get bigger than your trunk. So, you know, <laughs> than your, than your chest. and obviously I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I see that too often. And if that's what someone wants to do, you know, that's their prerogative. But generally speaking, if you want to optimize your size and strength down the track and have some balance and symmetry and that sort of thing, you've got to be careful. Now, if you came into the world with massive chest and massive legs with these really skinny arms, maybe you'd specialize a bit earlier. My main concern is the people who take the instant gratification, like, listen, the only one thing people are going to look at is my arms. I'm going to wear my little brother's T-shirt. I'm going to flex my arms at every occasion when I'm in public. And they're the sort of people whose arms are almost bigger than their, you know, than their legs. So that, that would be something. And if you had a genuine concern to fulfill your potential. Now, the other thing to keep, consider is this. As you get older, and this is something that obviously I've learned from being as young as I am not, um, as you get older, you know, some of your load-bearing joints don't get too happy about um, you know, about the load they've had throughout life. It's, my recommendation is when you're young, get your get your, your trunk up, get your you know, the centre of your body large, get it strong. You've got all the time in the world to do the little stuff later in life. Uh, and it's just almost a shame to see a young person missing the opportunity. And I understand that there's a trend with young people. You know, they go to the, you know, they want to go to some music festival, whatever, and all the things that matter. Or, <laughs> You know, have I got these guns and have I got low body fat? And that's that's their prerogative. But if you look back at the influences, you know, back in the 50s, 60s and 70s in particular, and you know, back in the days before most people listened to this audio were even born, there were some really fundamental principles taught by, by the bodybuilders of the era which said, you know, get your big muscles big first. You know, focus on the, the, the big muscles. Get some depth, get some width, and then pick up the periphery along the way. So... I am influenced by that. So when it comes down to frequency, you know, you've got to have a reason to specialise, and I wouldn't be recommending it more than once. As a generalisation, though, Jamie, as a generalisation. Mm -hmm. sure, sure, sure. But you know, every program you design has got a degree of prioritisation in it. Like, as, as, as I've taught you, that which is done first is done best. You know, that which you do more of gets a better result. The exercise that has a greater loading potential in exercise will get a, a greater result than an exercise that, that can only uh, use a small load. So there's those three main variables dictate the prioritization effect. But when you go out and do a specialization program, you're really guaranteeing a prioritization effect. I'm glad you've used it, but you know, you'd know you have to have a reason, depending on your long-term goals, to use it more than once a year. Sure, sure. Okay. 
Well, it's not for me to dictate someone's outcome. If, you know, they, they want to look big in their younger brother's T-shirt, you know, go and do the arms program all year long. But, you know, if, if you want to look big in your older brother's T-shirt, then you need to go and do the you know, more of that. Yeah, the more yeah. the powerlifting approaches, which is why it's included. That there's a powerlifting influence in, in the gap bus programs as you proceed through, and it's more and more so. And that's where you get your depth of muscle from. You know, bodybuilding methods, which are typically not as um, central in the body and, and not as heavy loading, they don't give you the depth, the muscle depth that a powerlifting program will. Yeah. Great question. Awesome. You don't have to have hey. more. If you had more, we'll do another one. Sure. Uh, on kind of that point, um, powerlifting versus bodybuilding. Do you? If my my primary goal is is bodybuilding rather than powerlifting, but do you generally? I know you kind of with the generic programs that I've followed. You you always add that neural element, um, but I also noticed in Get Buff Three, um, uh, powerlifting specific sort of program. Um, someone who's sort of focused on on bodybuilding, do you still recommend that they they do a program that that would be more sort of powerlifting oriented or you know Olympic lifting oriented that sort of stuff? Well, on the on the continuum of need, generally speaking, a powerlifting program would probably have a great application in an Olympic lifting program. But it comes down to what your goals are. The, the advantage with a powerlifting program, if you're lacking depth in your muscles, it's something that can really fill that gap. Now, there's a lot of exercises in bodybuilding that will develop your width. It's not, not that difficult to develop width, especially if you're willing to use wide grip exercises. Most people aren't. They want to use narrow grip, and that gets their arms bigger again, and that doesn't get their trunk width. But if you're willing to do shoulder presses, bind neck presses, wide grip, you know, chins, wide grip chins, you can get widths pretty easily. Getting depth is not as easy. And depth will come more from heavier load, longer rest periods. So that's a generalization because everybody responds differently. Also keeping in mind that I, I, the concept that I developed, which is the, the more advanced you get, probably the, the lower the average rep that you respond to, and that's why uh, my re- average rep program, uh, average rep in the Get Buff programs does lower throughout the books. But no, it's, there's absolutely no need for you to do powerlifting, but if you had a need to increase your depth, then I would recommend it. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. And, and as far as the actual, and that's a, that's a training method, as far as exercise selection, you know, there's something that a deadlift gives you in, in the depth of your trunk that other exercises don't. I mean, depth of lats is so enhanced by deadlifting. If you're deadlifting the way I teach, not, not, not just a party trick kind of deadlifting. And if you go back through history, there's, there's a few patterns that I believe are evident. I believe that the bodybuilders with the, with the best lats had deadlifting in their program, you know, right back to Frank and Colombo, et cetera. And another, another constant that I see historically is the athletes with the biggest legs had the best flexibility in the lower, in the lower, in the lower extremities. So, you know, the Tom Platt okay. in the world, they can do the splits. So there's a few there's a few common denominators that I've picked, a few trends that I've identified there that most people miss. Awesome. Thank you. Excellent. The great right. question. I've got to be honest, my computer is performing an update, it's about to shut down in okay, well, minutes and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> well, we're, it's really bad timing. We appreciate you taking time to share your, your wisdom and your experience. It's more valuable than you'd appreciate. And I know a lot of people are going to better from listening to this and being inspired by what you've done and, and get an insight into how much we appreciate people using the, the Get Buff programs for the way they were intended, which is to, to do a better program for yourself and to educate yourself. Thank you so much, Ian. It was 
really a privilege to talk to you. I, I had no idea you would do that, but um, but yeah, I really appreciate it. Well, no, we we like to reach out and surprise people, so that's <laughs> you surprised me for sure. Right, it's it's what I call people out of the blue. Sometimes, you know, they, you know apart from getting over the Australian accent, um, they often get a surprise too. So at least you had warning that we were calling. Well, feel free to call me out of the blue. I'd, I'd be quite happy to speak to you again. Yeah, there you go. So, Jamie, again, on behalf of everybody who's going to better from this, audio, thanks for taking the time, and we look forward to your future updates over time. Thanks, Ian.